an American Baptist minister and a social activist once had a dream. It was a dream of social equality, a dream of racial unity, a dream of freedom, a dream where people were not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Is this ringing a bell yet? This past Monday, January 15th, is is the nationally recognized and probably even globally recognized uh, day, holiday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And Martin Luther King was, was known for his ability to bring the most diverse of people together. And yet what I find so fascinating about Martin Luther King was that he was confronting the sins of violence, of inequality, and hatred that God's word so clearly condemned. And yet many today who are involved in the so-called civil rights movements that we see are promoting sin that opposes the word of God. If you dare to say anything negative against these movements, you might be labeled intolerant. You might be labeled unloving. Or you may have worse things said about you. Many people like to see Martin Luther King Jr. as a hero of civil rights, and yet they don't like to acknowledge the fact that his greatest inspiration and his greatest treasure was Jesus Christ. Martin Luther King Jr. was motivated by a deep conviction that was rooted in the Word of God. He was guided by truth and love found on the lips of Jesus Christ. And he spent his life pursuing to live for Him. Well, as Nate said, we're in our 2020 Kingdom Vision series studying through the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that had an incredible impact and influence in Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. And as we've looked at this series, we're trying to say, okay, Jesus, what, what, are you, what, what vision are you casting for your people? What does it look like when a community who is seeking to follow after Jesus, what, what does that look like? What, what are those ingredients And we've had the slogan that that Jesus desires us to become a community to reach a community. He wants to do something in us and do something through us. And last week we looked at the first six Beatitudes as Jesus described what makes a person or a community blessed. And this completely counterintuitive uh, definition of the meaning of the word blessed. And as we discussed, we've seen that the word blessed means that we are approved by God. The ultimate blessing any human being can experience is to know that you have been relationally been made right with God, who you were born into this world separated from. And this blessing has absolutely nothing to do with your religious efforts. It has nothing to do with the family you were brought up in or the way you were raised. And it has everything to do with Jesus Christ and his life, his death and his resurrection on behalf of sinners like you and me. And last week, the main idea was this, that there is no greater blessing than relational unity with God through Christ. We looked at that. No greater blessing. This week, we're looking at this. God has blessed us. He has given us the greatest blessing to be a blessing in this world. 
There was, there was more to it than just bestowing blessing upon us. He now empowers us to go and be a blessing in the world around us. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 9. If you don't, we're going to have them up here on the screen. The words of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's the word of God. Let's jump back to verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Through this short little saying, Jesus reveals that conflict for you and I and in this world is really inevitable. In order to have a need for peacemakers, you have conflict. Anyone agree with that? Anyone face some conflict this morning maybe on the way here? Driving on the roads? Road raging in the snow. So here Jesus is saying, okay, there's going to be conflict. But you are going to be blessed and you will be uh, a Christian if you seek to be a peacemaker. What does that mean? Well, it means that you are one who strives to be at peace with those in your life, in your homes, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and especially within the church. And not only that, but you are striving to be one who shows that there is peace available for humanity in relationship to God. Do you know that Jesus Christ bears the name the Prince of Peace? The famous Isaiah 9 passage that's often read at Christmas time. But this is who Jesus is. He is the Prince of Peace. And here is the deal is that peace always comes at a price. Peace is never free. And this prince paid the ultimate price for us to have peace with God. Colossians 1, 19-20 puts it this way. He says, For in him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to, be, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Of his cross. Your peace, my peace, our peace with God was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ on a cross. Peace is not free. This is the greatest cost, the greatest thing God could have gave us is his son. Who came and willfully laid down his life as a peace offering. To pay for our sin and our rebellion to give us eternal life through faith. As Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith or made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the peacemaker is the one who knows that they have been reconciled to God and it's only through faith. There's nothing you can do. It's a gift that can be received. 
And this concept of reconciliation, the word actually means uh, the restoration of a friendly relationship and peace where before there was hostility and alienation. The restoration of a friendly relationship where one never existed before. And if you have received Christ, if you have received this gift of peace with God through faith in Christ and what he did on the cross, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this about you. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, he is a new creation. You're a new person. You are not the same. You've been given new life. It says the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God through whom through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors, representatives for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. You and I can't take credit for anything written in there. We, we read the, and we hear the gospel and we say, man, apart from what God has done on my behalf, I got nothing. I bring nothing to the table except my need. And that's exactly what God has provided through his son. And those of us who have been reconciled to God through faith, both have now been entrusted with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. That has been given to us, as we saw in the 2 Corinthians passage. This includes both the telling others about the peace that we have come to know and experience with God through faith in the gospel. And it includes going out into the world and bringing peace into every aspect of life we find ourselves involved in. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but we live in a world that is quick to air their opinions and to criticize everyone. And in this world, Christians should be the peacemakers who are not quick to stir up unnecessary conflict or allow our opinions to create barriers in our relationships with those in our lives. We do need to hold firm and hold fast to the gospel that we don't compromise. But man, there's a lot of conflict we stir up probably that's not rooted in the gospel, but more rooted in our opinions or our preferences. And God says, not so with the peacemaker. Don't allow that to be you. James 1.19 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Be, let each person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If our culture isn't the exact opposite of that. Uh, yeah. So here we see peacemakers are good listeners. Quick to hear. Quick to seek understanding. Peacemakers are slow to express their opinions because they realize this might cause conflict. An unneeded conflict in this relationship. So I'm going to think twice before I open my mouth. 
And lastly, peacemakers are slow to anger because they know anger doesn't do anything good in any of our relationships. But we're still humans. We're still wrestling with sin, right? Some of us might still fly off the rails sometimes and get angry. Some of us might uh, be a little impatient with our children. Some of us might be a little insensitive towards our spouse. I'm just using the pulpit as a little confessional this morning. But God has given us principles of peace that as Christians, we now have the freedom that when we do fall into sin, when we do get angrier or get loose-tongued, we're called to humble ourselves. We're called to humble ourselves before God to seek forgiveness and confess to Him. We're called to humble ourselves before our fellow brothers and sisters to seek their forgiveness when we have wronged them. This keeps our relationships unified. This keeps us from allowing a root of bitterness to grow in our hearts that just creates relational wedges all over our lives. Let's be honest, though. There are times when peace is going to be impossible. And the Bible actually acknowledges this for us. Romans twelve eighteen. If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There is an acknowledgement for true relational reconciliation, for true peace to exist in a relationship. It takes both parties. But the responsibility of the Christian is to do everything you can do. But you have to acknowledge that you are limited in your power. And when you come to roadblocks in relationships, when you come up against those who refuse to reconcile, who refuse to make peace, we should be taken back to the second beatitude. If you remember that, blessed are those who mourn. When you're doing everything you can to reconcile a relationship and that other person is just not having it, that should break your heart. That should deeply grieve your spirit. That is godly sorrow. And that is evidence of the purity of your own heart and your desire for relational reconciliation. The flesh's response is, fine, you don't want peace to heck with you. Be gone. Out of my life. I don't need you. Where the flesh says to retaliate, The Spirit says reconcile. Do all that you can to reconcile. And here's the other reality. Even though Jesus came to bring peace and that He is the Prince of Peace, He is the only source of true peace with God, the world hated Him. Here is Jesus, perfect and pure by every definition, the bringer of peace and the gospel of hope. But that gospel confronted a world system that is the exact opposite of God's law. And that brings us to our next beatitude in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Well, we've already learned that those who are of God's kingdom are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that hungering and thirsting for righteousness is hungering and thirsting for relationship with Jesus himself. Desiring to pursue relationship with God that is now made possible to us. And in our seeking Christ, we've learned that that also means conforming to him. As we get closer to him, we become more like him. And Jesus is saying, if you get close to me and I start to change you, you're going to get persecuted. It's going to happen. Why? Because it happened to me. I lived perfectly. I honored God perfectly. And I was persecuted. Therefore, you do the same. You will be persecuted. This was Martin Luther King Jr.'s reality. He stood on the definition of God's righteousness and he was persecuted for it i watched a little documentary this past week and found out that uh, he was arrested and thrown in jail for a non-violent protest that he received multiple death threats uh, he had enemies within and without um, his house was bombed while he was speaking at a rally once i mean he was living life knowing he could be killed at any moment Because of what he was standing for. And he was eventually assassinated. He gave up his life. But it was all rooted in the fact that he believed the word of God was truth. He believed the word of God was life. And he sought to make a better world based on his faith. I would argue that Mike Pence, our current vice president, is another example of this. I don't know if you've seen in the news some of the stuff that uh, his neighbors have been so loving to him about. Um, you know, Mike, Mike is known for, for taking the stance, defending the unborn. He's known for taking a stance and defining marriages between one man and one woman. And his neighbors in Washington, D.C. Uh, have recently and intentionally decorated their house in rainbow flags. Just as a way to show him we're against what you stand for. And then his home in Aspen had a a rainbow flag decorated the entry that read on it, Make America Gay Again. I don't know if this bothers you, but what in the world is going on in our country when people interpret their freedom of speech as the ability to mock and ridicule those who have been voted into office? There's just no respect. There's no respect for authority. In our culture today. And there's no acknowledgement of any moral foundation or principle that has any foundation. See, Martin Luther King Jr., he never used these kinds of tactics. He respectfully asked and pleaded with the leaders of this nation to consider reform that would benefit everyone. And he did it in a respectful way. But our culture, as you know, has totally redefined right and wrong. This new definition has nothing to do with the word of God, and it's really rooted in humans' desire to fulfill whatever they want. It's rooted in human desire, not in any uh, higher governing principles. Freedom is no longer rooted in the truth, but is seen as throwing off all constraints. 
This is not freedom. It's humanity's way of justifying their sin and neglecting and rejecting God. See, God's design and His commands are good, and they're a reflection of His very nature and character. Therefore, if you find yourself opposing God's commands and God's law, you are opposing God Himself. For He does not separate Himself from what He has revealed in His Word. And if you stand upon the Word of God, if you call sin, sin, if you stand for righteous causes in this world, you will be persecuted. You're going to be made fun of. You're going to be laughed at and mocked. You're going to be told that it's time that you get with the times. But Jesus says, you're blessed. If this is happening to you, you're blessed. Are people mocking you because you stand for what is right and good? Blessed. That's declared over your life. And he gives us a clarifier because heaven belongs to you. It's evidence of your eternal reward. Let's keep reading Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So not only are you going to be persecuted for standing for righteousness, you're going to be persecuted for associating with the name of Jesus. Now, it's interesting. Uh, you can talk about God all day long in our culture, right? Like people who aren't Christians, are, oh, God bless you, or God's so good, blah, blah, blah. You talk about Jesus, that changes things. You bring the name Jesus into a conversation, whoa, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, was the first Christian martyr. He was preaching the gospel to his fellow Jews. And they hated him and violently killed him because he claimed that Jesus Christ was God and was the Messiah. And I love Stephen's last words, and they're so fitting for where his heart was as he's being killed. Picture this. People are throwing rocks at you to kill you. And these are the words that come out of your mouth. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Isn't that amazing? How in the world? You have people raging against you. They hate you. They want you dead. They are actually killing you. And you say, God, forgive them. God, don't hold this against them. They don't know what they're doing. Their hearts are hard. They can't see. They don't understand. Somehow, God, use my death to show them your grace. I just love that. That's, that's a heart of one who understands that they've been redeemed. And that this world is in desperate need of redemption. Now, it's very unlikely for you or I in America today, that we're going to go out and get killed for associating with Jesus. But the day could come. It's possible. But for now, the, the primary way that we are going to be persecuted is that people are going to say things against us. 
They're going to speak evil. They're going to falsely accuse followers of Jesus. They're going to attempt to discredit us. But again, Jesus says that you are blessed if this is you. This is evidence that you're walking with me. This is evidence that you're having an impact in this world. And Jesus goes on to say, uh, rejoice and be glad. Not only are you blessed, but you are commanded to rejoice and be glad. Is that hard for anybody here to understand that? Be happy when people hate you. What? But then we look at his promises and it gives us perspective. For your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just saying, look, don't look to find your acceptance on earth. That's all temporary. People are always going to find a reason not to like you. Just make sure it's for the right reasons. But know that when they don't like you on my account, oh wow. That is evidence that you have a great reward in heaven. That is evidence that you are a part of my hall of faith. That has started from the first pages of scripture all the way to the end. You're included with the Old Testament prophets. Who also suffered for standing for God. So we've seen if we are, we are seeking to be peacemakers, Jesus says, who are standing upon righteousness and standing on the name and fame of Jesus Christ that this world will persecute us, but his promises will never fail us. And his promises will endure forever. But here's the thing, it's not all hopeless, it's not all like, oh, go live for Jesus and you're going to be hated and killed. She says, no, no, no. Yeah, that could happen. But let me continue. Matthew 5.13. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall it be salty? How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So let's pause and talk about this. Jesus is calling his people salt. The salt of the earth. And you may or may not know this, but salt is one of the most useful things on this planet. As I did a little bit of research, there's like 14,000 uses of salt. At least that's what they say. Hence here, Jesus is comparing his people to salt. And he's saying that there are going to be countless ways in which you can bring good into this world. You're going to be... Be a source of good. We also have to understand that back in their day, salt was primarily used as a preservative. They didn't have refrigerators. Food went bad quickly. But to rub food with salt kept it good for a long time. It has a preservative nature to it, but it also flavors food. How many of you sprinkle salt on everything you eat? couple honest people, I'm with you. Okay, 
So here, Jesus is using this, this, this example of salt, and he's essentially saying, look, it keeps food good, it makes things taste good, and this is what I'm, this is what I'm comparing you to. And the other thing that we know about salt is that it has no expiration date. Salt doesn't go bad on its own. That's amazing. So you're saying, you're not going to go bad. You're going to preserve things. You're going to give flavor to things. But salt has a way it can become useless. And Jesus says in this passage that uh, we shouldn't lose our saltiness or allow our salt to lose its taste. And the Jews would have been pretty familiar with this idea because they lived close to the Dead Sea, which was a a massive source of salt and still is to this day. In fact, back then they called it the Salt Sea. And there was was a 15 square mile hill on the southwest corner of the Dead Sea. And what happened on this hill is that some of the the outer part of the salt kind of became more like rock. It kind of became fossilized because it got mixed with impurities And there were some chemical changes that took place on that outer layer, which made it completely lack any flavor, thus rendering it useless. And here I think we see a warning from Jesus saying to us, his people, who were designed to preserve, to bring flavor and to fill the earth, not to lose our saltiness. And what I'd like to propose to you today is that the way we lose our saltiness is when we mix with the impurities of this earth. When we allow the things of the world to creep into our lives and we try to treasure things in this world more than Christ. We say, oh yeah, I'm cool with Jesus. I want, I want a little bit of Jesus, but I also want everything else that the world says brings me joy, life, and happiness. You're trying to follow Jesus with one foot and trying to follow the world with another foot and they just don't mix. And I'll have to be honest, this is a daily examination of our hearts because the draw and the pull of this world comes in fast and hard. And every single one of us needs to be reminded and to be plead with God. Say, God, don't let me lose my salt. Don't let me allow impurities from this world into my life that will cause me to be completely ineffective and flavorless in this world. I asked myself the question, well, how do I know if I'm losing my saltiness? How do you, how do you discern that? I came up with a list of questions. How do you view people? Do you view people as created in the image of God to be loved and cared for? Or do you view people as an annoyance or as an obstacle to your agenda? How do you view those who are struggling with sin? Does your heart break for them and do you patiently point them to Jesus? Or do you develop kind of a bitter critical attitude towards them? Do you allow a self-righteous spirit to well up within you towards them, thinking that you're better than they are? Do you lack joy and desire in pursuing the things of God? 
Do you find yourselves entering into prayer and having nothing to say? Or nothing that you're listening for? Lastly, are you looking to things in this world for security, for significance, or for satisfaction? Those are good tests for us to allow, allow God to sift our hearts and just to say, God, we all have impurities in there, so let's just confess that up front. But God, get rid of those. I want to be salty. I want to have a positive impact in this world for your kingdom. And as I look through this list, if I'm honest, I've sensed a personal lack of saltiness in some areas of my life. And God's really doing a work in me on this. I've been processing with my wife and with friends and just saying, what, man, what is going on, God, in my heart? I need you. I need you to make me salty. I need you to keep me salty. For apart from you, I can't do anything. We have to come to that place. We have to stay in that place. Because God has called us. He has declared us to be salt in this earth. To bring good. Well, he goes on in verse 12. You are the light of the world. A, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on its stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Imagine for a moment that there was no light on this planet. You can't. Because nothing would exist. Right? The sunlight itself provides the warmth needed for us to survive. It helps the plants grow, which are needed to produce oxygen that help us survive. Without light, there is no life. And here's Jesus saying that you, church, you, followers of Jesus, are the manifestation and the representation of the only spiritual light on this planet. Sounds, it's a big responsibility. It's a big commission. That's a huge title. You're the light, church. Shine. Be who you are. Let your light shine. Don't hide it. Don't pretend like you're not a follower of Jesus. Like some secret. Like, oh, I'll sneak that in at some point. Like, oh yeah, by the way, I, I love Jesus. No. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't light a lamp only to put it under a basket. Light has purpose. And it brings hope into darkness. Back in John 8. We studied through the Gospel of John. Oh, probably about a year ago now. Remember Jesus saying this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light. And if we are following him, we are walking in the light. And that light is meant to shine. You see, we have to be in the light 
if we have hopes to reflect the light. The only reason we see the moon at night is because the light is reflecting upon it. The only way this world is going to see Christ in us if Christ is shining upon us and we're allowing him to shine through us. And this is what Jesus has called us to do. This is who Jesus has called us to be, to be that light and to abide in that light. Charles Spurgeon said this, he says, all you need to make you blessed, supremely blessed, is to be with Christ. Heaven and Christ are the same thing. To be with Christ is to be in heaven, and to be in heaven is to be with Christ. Therefore, if we are in Christ, we have the light of life. We are blessed in him. And according to Jesus, if you are in the light, you are going to be one who is pursuing peace with those around you, fighting for it to the best of your ability. If you are of the light, you are going to seek to live for what God says is right and good, for what is righteous. And if you are walking in the light, you're you're going to be persecuted, but your reward is. It's great. And Jesus doesn't just say, hey, you're you're blessed. Go be warm, be filled. He says, you're blessed to be a blessing. I have greater purposes for you. I've revealed myself to you so that you might go reveal me to others. That is the call of Christ. That is the call of the church. Martin Luther King Jr., he caught this vision of being light as Jesus set forth and he did become a light in this dark world and he paid for it with his life as well. But the light he shone is still celebrated to this day. It is still acknowledged what he did and the impact of what he stood for. And oh, what a great reward Jesus had in store for Martin Luther King Jr., His reward was heaven. To be with Christ without any hindrance. That's our reward. That's our joy. That's our crown. Will you pray with me? Father, I know for many of us, uh, the idea of you calling us salt and light does does not always uh, feel right. God, many of us in this room know uh, the sin that still entangles our lives. We know the impurities that are still present within our minds and our hearts. And yet, in spite of that, you have said we are righteous. And it's not because of what we have done. It's because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, the greatest blessing of all. And I ask, God, that that you truly would use us, that you would spread us like salt over this city and throughout this state and country and throughout this world with the light of the gospel that many would come to know a, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, that many more would be blessed because of the blessing we have received. 